It is so great to see everybody this morning. It is good to be in the tent of the Lord, I guess. I often like to say the house of the Lord, but we're in the tent of the Lord, so we'll hearken back to the time of uh, Israel and, and enjoy this time under the tent. I pray it's a cooler environment for you, and uh, we have people all the way out into the grass. It is great to see you there. As we continue in our series, True North, now, where did I get this title from? Um, well, it, it was inspired from that awesome Ren Collective song, True North. I was having a particularly discouraging day. I shared in our series intro last week. And uh, it was late April, and I got in my car, and I said, I'm gonna put on happy music. Have you ever done that? I was gonna put on some music that would cheer me up. And, and I put on that song, and on comes True North. But it was a line in that song that just refocused my thinking for that day. And it was this, I will follow you into the dark. I mean, I'm thinking, how many people would I follow into the dark? I mean, I would follow a few people into the light, but into the dark? I mean, who could I possibly trust? I couldn't even trust my dad, okay? When I was a little guy, I can particularly remember a story um, where I was told to go up to bed, and what I didn't know was my dad had gotten this woolly bear glove, okay? With like, you know, just this like big hairy glove, okay? And he went up to my bedroom before I went up and he put that glove over the light switch so that when I came up into my bedroom to go to bed, I went to flip the light switch and this woolly hand grabbed my hand. I screamed in terror. I mean, I, mean, I was like, there's, a bear has entered my room, okay? When you're a kid, this is a terrifying thing. You know how the drill goes. From downstairs, you hear, my dad's name's Robin. Robin, knock it off. They need to go to sleep. You can't wind them up right before bed, right? And that dads never listen to that. They just applaud the effort by mom, but they, they, we wanna be the fun ones. But who would I follow into the dark? I mean, the dark's scary. I mean, the dark has some things that might be unknown. I'd really have to trust that source. But the beauty of calling Jesus my true north in times as difficult and as strange, I mean, doesn't it feel sometimes we entered a time warp? I mean, have you ever talked to somebody recently and gone, okay, what's happening all right, like what is this? Okay, this is different and this is difficult. But it, the times like this, it's so important for us to make sure we're focused on the truth when we don't even know at times it feels what is an agenda, what is political, what is a true danger, what is a risk, what is not a risk. Lord, what do we do? How do we focus in times like this where it feels like the goalposts change every day? And that's the beauty of a compass. Kids, have you ever gotten a compass out? Now, I'm not talking about like an app on your phone, but like a real compass. They have like a leveling technique on this. And when I drop my level right about there, it tells me where north is. Now I've been corrected that this is turning to magnetic north, that a true north depends on declination. And so I did some research on that too and I worked a little bit. And you know what, it's pretty much the same thing. So we're locked in pretty good. But when I hold this steady, this is north right up this way, okay? That's north. So that will serve when I point that direction as that's our truth compass. We wanna go towards that. No matter what's around us, we're gonna follow that truth right into the dark. And I challenged us in times like these to be setting priorities last week 
that are our true priorities in times like this, that Jesus would have us prioritize even in times like this. And you know what? It's been great. I, I, I illustrated big rocks, and I don't plan to do this every sermon during this series, but uh, the first two, in case you weren't with us last week, I wanna get this down because we're gonna be talking about this as a church. Who knows for how long um, I'll be referencing. Remember, the big rocks are this. For our church, the big rocks is getting the gospel out, getting the word of God out, okay? The methods right now aren't as important. I mean, my word, we drug the entire church tech system outside for a season to keep you all as distant as possible and feeling good about being at church. I mean, your staff is going out of its way to provide an experience on Sunday because we want this to be one of our big rocks. But if you remember the illustration, if you weren't here last week, uh, I'll show it to you one more time. And you always pray these work when you do them. Um, when, you, when you're talking about rocks, if I start with these rocks and get that in, and then I start piling rocks in, you'll notice I run out of space pretty quick and I can't pile as much in. It jams me up. But when I reverse that course and I take these big rocks out, okay, and I, and I take even the smaller rocks out. Whoa, it's overflowing here. And I drop these in first. As if metaphorically my priorities. I drop them in. I, I, leave, I leave them the first priority. Then I have way more areas to get these in. In fact, I can get them all in. And, and I love this as a spiritual example of how much I can get in when I focus on the most important things first. Scripture says, when it talks about priorities and seeking what's truly important, it's not the kingdom of man, which we all live in and which we get different guidelines and different things all the time, which may frustrate many of you, okay? But this is the kingdom of God and what he prioritizes. And when we seek first the kingdom of God, all the other things, they'll be added unto you. And there's room for all these things. And even on top of that, I had somebody come up to me after our first service and say, you know what, Chris, you should even pour in the refreshing things, pour water into there. And I'll tell you what, this packs up pretty good because of how much room, and I can even get more room as I shake this. So my question last week was, have you made any priorities? I don't wanna waste this trial. I know that many of the difficulties and challenges that have come for our church specifically in getting you together, guys, a lot of the challenges at times, they've, if I can be just raw and honest, are very challenging and sometimes even discouraging, okay? I mean, we had a church of over 1,400 people piling into the doors before Christmas. I was holding up candles and going, the light of the gospel. And, and this place was filled with tremendous enthusiasm and excitement for its future. And like a sucker punch, we all of a sudden now as a staff celebrate when over 200 of you sign up for a service. You should see the staff. Look how many people are coming. Okay, they're so excited because they haven't seen you in so long. And it's so good just to have you guys in the tent. But God's pulled a fast one on all of us because roughly between two and 3,000 people are joining us on that camera there. 
and, and uh, in addition to you. And now the gospel's even going out into Europe. I see you out there. And Africa, we have multiple churches watching too. And so we appreciate you joining us as well. And the Lord has just taken the gospel and expanded it for our church in such beautiful ways that we've seen. When we keep the big rock of the Bible important and keep preaching the word of God, even if it means coming outside and changing my shirt between two services. God can honor that and use that and bless that. Amen? I hope you heard that online, church. As we gather together, wherever you are, you're part of our church family this morning, and we're so grateful for you. Kids have sent me some of their big rocks. I challenge you to come up with eight priorities that you wanna leave this time period when, when it clears up. This will pass. This will eventually pass, okay? Or it's gonna take us out of here. I had somebody joke with me recently. I feel like Jesus is like, all right, Heavenly Father, let me go get them. It's going south. But, but, but as we wait for his expected return, I pray that we are creating priorities as we come out of this that won't let us just default back to the past, won't let us just default the way we were living, but living better and stronger, knowing the priorities Jesus would have for us. Wouldn't that be great? Have you made priorities for your life? If I got any college students out here today, make some priorities for this fall, okay? Your life might be a little bit different this fall. You might be online classes more than in-person classes. Make some priorities. I had kids send me some of their priorities, and one of the kids on their eight priorities, I think they did them in the service last week during the tent, one of the kids put at the top, Mom, How, how's that feel, moms? The kid put mom as a priority. I said, that kid's getting his college paid for. That, that is, that's called wisdom. What's your priority? Mom, okay? All right, dad did not show up on that list. You know, I, I called dad, you okay? He's like, it's all right, mom is great, all right? But what priorities do you have? And I shared with you some of my priorities as I wanted to go into this next season of life. But who cares about Chris's priorities? Let's hear Jesus's priorities. Where has he shared that with us? Where has he anchored us? Is there a passage in scripture I can go to where Jesus lays out some characteristics I can emulate, some true north principles that'll guide me through seasons even like this? He has. And most specifically, on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, he gives out really where our priorities should lie. Not necessarily do lie, but should lie. Look, look, look at this. He says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, which was traditional for rabbinic rabbis, okay, to, to, for rabbis, excuse me, for Jewish rabbis, there it is, um, to sit down to teach. So when he sat down, they were, oh, we're getting some teaching. And then Matthew drops in a line, okay? Let, let's, be, let's be students of the word here for a second. Matthew drops in a line that is very similar to what Jesus would say, verily, verily. Matthew liked to say, and he opened his mouth. It wasn't like Matthew was astonished that Jesus talked. <gasps> he opened his mouth. Okay, that's not the idea. He's saying, listen to what he said, all right? He's trying to draw you in. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, here is what's called the first beatitude, all right, have you ever heard that phrase, beatitude? There's eight beatitudes. We're gonna call them our priorities. And, and he's teaching them this in what many call the Sermon on the Mount, kind of his inaugural address. I'm gonna tell you, I know what the kingdom of a man says, but I'm gonna tell you what the kingdom of God desires from its kingdom members. And he gives this out and he drops what I would call a, oh, moment. Young people, you know those moments? You don't wanna be on the wrong side of those. 
You know, when somebody does something or says something to you, everybody's like, oh, oh my goodness. I remember the first time I dropped my tray at uh, a Penridge Middle School, okay? I think I was at North at the time. I dropped my tray in the cafeteria and everybody was really kind to me. They, they were really nice. No, no. It, it was, ah, ah, idiot, loser. You know, it just really, you know, really building, you build you up. I mean, junior high is to build people up. And, 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 uh, and I remember those moments. Well, this is what Jesus does. He's got them on this mountain. He has his disciples. Now we know this in the gospels, okay? Especially within Matthew, you'll see. He calls the disciples, disciples generically. People who are following him around, many fall away. So we can't always associate disciples with true believers, but he's speaking to his disciples and he says this. Here's, here's his first beatitude. Um, it, it's a, it's a, a word that means to be enlarged. Okay, this is the life you wanna live. Jesus kind of throws a grenade into a society that was celebrating pharisaical elitism. That was the shelf, okay? The more material wealth you had, the more successful you were, the more elite you were, into that society, Jesus drops this grenade and says, blessed. The word means happy and blissful, but it seems to stem more from a divine happiness and a divine bliss based on the fact that the king is gonna give me an inheritance. The king's character tells me I'm taken care of and the king has welcomed me in, okay? Blessed, blessed is the poor in spirit. Now, now, what does this mean, the poor in spirit? Are we talking about financial poverty? Is it an uppercase S? Okay, so I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Really, the idea here, when you dive under the surface is, it's blessed are those who are or see themselves as bankrupt spiritually, that they don't bring anything to the table. Do you remember the Psalmist David, how he would approach the Lord? He'd say, what kind of hands held high? Do you remember? Empty hands held high. It was like David was saying, I have nothing to offer you. I need from you. And this is the idea. Blessed, those who will live a happy life in the kingdom and emulate the kingdom of God, those who will experience an enlarged experience of life are the poor in spirit. Those who understand their spiritual poverty and the fact they don't bring anything to the table, they need everything from Jesus. Blessed are they, those who confess their unworthiness, those who acknowledge their need, those who are repentant and broken. That would exclude some very prominent people in the Jewish time period that were possibly even listening in. Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes, the elite. Jesus is saying, blessed are actually the poor in spirit. I would even want to raise my hand and say, blessed are the humble? Can I raise my hand? Jesus, what high school did you go to? Humility gets you nowhere. What workplace did you go to, Jesus? Humility gets me nothing. I mean, I've got to plow. I've got to dominate. I've got to think about myself first. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. Oh man, Jesus, you want me to be a punching bag? Is that what you're asking me to be? Hey, come here, here here's a punching bag. Blessed are the poor in spirit? Jesus says, yeah. 
I know in the kingdom of man, pride is celebrated. I know in the kingdom of man, a lack of integrity gets you places. I know that in the kingdom of man, when you fight and kick and scream and get your way, you actually feel like you're moving forward. But here's the deal. Blessed are the poor in spirit for, for what? Theirs is the kingdom of God. It's those who are poor in spirit that enter the kingdom of God. Those who acknowledge that they don't bring anything to the table. That they didn't earn their salvation or could earn their salvation. Those are who I value. I get that the kingdom of man celebrates great athleticism. I get that the kingdom of man celebrates lots of degrees. I get, and many of us have some of those things. Right now, and I'm not saying we should be ashamed of those things. But Jesus said, you want to get my attention. You want to talk about true north characteristics. It's the poor in spirit. Humility. Is there a parable that we could cast alongside? That's what the word parable means. To cast alongside the truth. Is there a parable to cast alongside this truth that blessed are the poor in spirit. Like Jesus, if I'm gonna commit as a priority, if I'm gonna make a big rock in my life humility, then I'm gonna have to make changes. Because if I'm honest, Lord, there's some people I wanna punch right now. If I'm honest, Lord, and that's not true of me, by the way, if you're wondering, geez, Chris wants to hit somebody? Not not today. Um, but there's some mitigations that are driving me nuts and I want to scream. There's some things going on in my life where I, I just want to, I want to do what I would do if I were not saved. Have you ever said that? If I weren't saved, do you understand what I'd do? I had a college kid say to me one time, if I wasn't saved, you know how bad I'd be? I'm like, wow, how bad would you be? In other words, I fantasize about it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What parable, what cast alongside truth could we throw to this? Well, I wanna leverage one of the most famous parables out there. You know the prodigal son, right? You know the tax collector and the Pharisee, do you know that one? Or the Pharisee and the publican? All right, this one, I feel bad if the Pharisee got saved later in the text, I don't know, it's a parable, so we don't know if it's an actual story of Jesus just trying to illustrate a point by the king. But if he did get saved, I mean, what a terrible prayer to have recorded for the rest of history. I mean, when you hear what he says, like how many of you have heard that parable? Could I have you come up and teach it for me? I need a break, I'm sweating. No. <laughs> when, when I talk about this parable, I want you to watch and I want you to see how this goes because it's so interesting and it's so counterintuitive. To the disciples that are listening, it, it's gonna shake their priorities forever. Here's the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Lord, use this parable, zero our attention in, help us to learn from this and grow from this and reset our priority to humility, Lord, where the devil is trying to get us to choose pride. It, we, we are living in a time where people are divided, are, are fighting. Um, we're using our, our social medias to stir up tension and anger. And Lord, we don't wanna let the devil win. We don't wanna let him divide the church, divide great churches. Lord, you know, I know of churches who are falling apart the seams over infighting, over opinions on this. And Lord, we gotta stay humble through this because this is what you would want for us. 
But it doesn't mean we don't have convictions. And that doesn't mean we can't stand on the truth. And so may we do this by looking at the truth of the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Amen. All right, it's a short parable. It's gonna go quick, but there's a lot of juice we can pull out of it that will anchor in one of our first priorities this summer in our eight beatitude priorities. Here it is. Jesus told the parable to some who trusted themselves that they were righteous and treated others with content. This is interesting. Jesus gives us his target audience. Any marketing degrees out there? The key to great marketing is to target your audience. You can tell when a car company is targeting a certain age group. You just know they're doing it. And great marketing understands its target audience. I propose they got it from Jesus because Jesus always knew his target. And his target audience is, is very simple. Those who thought that their opinion's right and their view of themselves is right and whoever disagrees with them is a loser. I'm right, you're all idiots. Jesus would like to talk to that person. Can I talk to you today for just a minute? But Jesus, you don't understand. There's fools out there, there's idiots out there, and I'm here to correct everyone. Can I, shh, shh, can I talk to you for a minute, Jesus said? I wanna tell a parable to those who trusted that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And he says this, two men went up into the temple to pray. Do you feel it almost starts like kind of like a joke? Hey, yo, there's like these two guys, all right? And they went to the temple, all right? This is the idea. Jesus goes, there's two guys and they went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Can I give you a little historical background so we can squeeze a little more out of this text? A Pharisee was not often, we only think through the perspective of Jesus, how he called them a brood of vipers and stuff. Sometimes we have a very negative view on Pharisees, but at that time period, they had a high view. I mean, think about it. The Pharisees were constructed for a very noble reason. Israel kept disobeying God and falling away and being punished for it and sent into exile. They put together the Pharisees so that they would know the law the best and teach the people the law so they wouldn't fall back into sin. I mean, it was a very noble thing to become a Pharisee. And sometimes in our 21st century minds, we think only Pharisees are bad, but they were constructed to protect the people of God. And so the Pharisees started out as really great things, they, but they, and they were considered the spiritually elite Oh, grow up to be like a Pharisee. They were educationally elite since they had, they had not only the Old Testament law, but they taught the law. In fact, they added to the law quite a bit. They were the judge and the jury. If somebody was arguing over another dispute, and I'm right, no, I'm right. You know, my opinion's right, they're wrong. This is what's right. And they were the judge and the jury. It was almost like they were a title of righteousness. If I gave it a 21st century illustration, it would be like, and there was this pastor, or let me do better, senior pastor, or, or let me even do better, reverend, okay? I, I've done some funerals and people have come up to me, hey, really appreciate the message, reverend, and I'm telling you, I feel 70 when they say it. So if you, I mean, I mean, oh my word, reverend Heller is even older for me. Um, there'll be a day where I think I embrace that, but I appreciate Chris right now. So these were these Pharisees, this job that just entitled righteousness, and then a publican, a tax collector. Let me give you some background on this. Don't stay unknowledgeable about this. The Romans, when they would take over Jewish areas, they would pull from the Jewish people individuals who would tax their own people. 
They didn't do it as Romans. They had a Jew tax for them. And anything that they kept, these publicans, they could keep anything they overcharged. And so they were stealing from their own people group. And they were so bad that Jesus in those times when he taught and when people referred to him, they had their own category of sin. There was adulterers, murderers, sinners. And then they would literally say, and tax collectors. I mean, if you want to go low, that's as low as it can get. And so in the 21st century, you've got this good, respectable, honorable reverend next to a trafficker or, 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 or some sort of, of abusing of people kind of person. Jesus sets up these two as there's these two guys and they're pulled temple to pray. And then Jesus says, I'm gonna let you in on what they prayed. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed. It's very typical for Pharisees to pray by themselves in Jewish culture, standing up. And please understand, Pharisees, we have no reason to think that this wasn't an out loud prayer, okay? Spoken out loud because they love to tell everybody what they were doing. In fact, many people applauded them praying out loud because they wanted to hear how to pray, okay? So they would pray out loud and they would promote themselves because they are the standard of what you and I should all achieve if we were Jews of that time period. In fact, the Pharisees were so blunt in what they do, when they would go to give at the temple, they would have trumpet sound. Right? I mean, imagine that. Imagine that. Like, let me pick on my, my college guys here. I'll pick on Cross for a minute. I love Cross. What if Cross Edwards came in, he walked in, he said, hey, I'm gonna tithe everybody. I said, hold, 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 Cross, wait. Start the trumpets. Oh, wait, here he goes. Boom. We, we got a tithe. We got a tithe. You say, yeah, it's like a restaurant I go to. They ring the bell. Good service. Bing, 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 right? The, the Pharisees, they wanted to make sure you knew everything. So this Pharisee prays, and I, I really personally believe it was out loud. And so I want you to understand that people heard this. He prays this. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. I dare you to pray that one, all right? I'm not, I'm that, don't dare you. That was a joke. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, robbers. You know, people who just rob stuff unjust, ugh, immoral, ugh. adulterous, ugh, people who break their vows, ugh. or even this tax collector. <gasps> Are you kidding me? Did he really just say that? Is the guy in the room and he says this? Oh, God, imagine if I got up here and prayed. Hey, I want to start the service. Let me pray for a minute. God, Thank you, I'm not like anybody in this room. Oh, him over there, we know what he did last night. And her, we know what she's thinking right now. Oh, and Lord, I'm especially thankful that I'm not uh, Mark Wigner. Man, God, thank you, I'm not like him. He's my good friend. We had a campfire last night. So, it was, but, but that's how raw and righteous and self-righteous this is. Wow, it's disturbing for us to listen to, but it's perfectly fitting during that time period. 
there was a time period in my life where I was really into getting as much education as I can get, and I still love to stay educated and keep reading. I'm across the hallway from a Princeton graduate, so he's constantly sending me books and things I should be reading. He's a, a voracious reader, and I, I wish I could emulate him. But I got into this season where I was really studying a lot, and I was going through, trying to finish up a master's degree and all this stuff, and my wife and I were younger at the time, and a seminary opportunity came uh, to go on this conference in Colorado to this really awesome, mind-expanding conference full of intellectuals where I probably didn't belong in the room, but I just wanted to go. And I signed us up, and I took my wife, and if you know my wife, she really found the conference boring and stupid and elitist, but I was enjoying it, okay? And, And as we were going through in one specific class, there was a student, 28, 29 years old, probably younger guy, cool guy, really knew his stuff. But every time he answered a question, he'd say, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, you know, uh, I, I studied at Harvard and um, one of the things that we talked about in our classes, and you're like, wow, that's, I respect that. You dropped the brand on us. Okay. You know, the problem was day two, he did it again. Well, you know, um, I think I mentioned uh, we, I went to Harvard and one of the things that we kind of spoke about and he kind of went, and you felt like a tension in the room. And then day three, you say, no, he didn't. Oh yeah, he did. <laughs> day three, he did it again. So how many of you are like this guy? One of the guys in the class, he's an older gentleman. He raised his hand and the teacher called him and none of us saw this coming. And he goes, well, as a graduate of Colorado Community College. (laughs) And the whole place looked right at this kid. And he, even the kid was like, oh boy, I did it. I mean, it was an epic, you know, oh my word moment. It was beautiful. And you saw people after the class going by, thank you, man. I needed that. I needed that from you. This was the Pharisees. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Look at me. Compared to other people, I'm really great. But then Jesus said, the tax collector, standing far off, not in a hurry to get to the front, but standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up but beat his breast. He's not pretending he's King Kong, kids. This is a phrase to basically say, shame on me. God, why do I live like this? I see my sin. I see how bad I'm acting. I I see how prideful. I see how I'm robbing my own people. I I see this. I don't even want to look at you. I'm unworthy. That's the idea here of him saying he's beating his breast. And then he drops this anchor statement. He says, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me. I tell you, Jesus says. He lays out to the crowd, and they're all listening. Who's he gonna declare the right one? Is it the Pharisee? It's gotta be the Pharisee. He's probably gonna be like, can you believe that tax collector even came in the temple? That's what Jesus will say. Oh, I bet, I bet Jesus will say, can you even believe he thought that I would listen to him a sinner? That's probably what he'll say. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other one. When Jesus laid out the verdict, 
I declare, that's what justification is, that's what the doctrine of justification is, it's when Jesus declares us righteous. For New Testament believers, because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, because of his shed blood, at the moment of salvation, you became justified. You don't have to fear this prayer if you're a child of God. But this tax collector, this sinner, this unworthy man who said, I have nothing to offer except I need mercy. Jesus declared him the righteous one. Justified, excuse me. The crowd had to be like, you've got to be kidding me. There was probably a Pharisee going, that's it, we're out of here. This guy's a hypocrite. We're out of here. We're out of, this is crazy. How could you possibly say this scum of the earth is the one justified in a moment like this. And that was Jesus' point. Ooh, Jesus could stir up a room. That one, because he recognized his spiritual poverty, was the one. But, but can we jump into, can we jump under the text real quick? Can you stay with me? Some of you just really love getting to the root of the words. Go back to this last verse here and go back to his prayer. Be merciful. This is interesting. The, the original language Luke would be in would be Greek, okay? And so the word here is a holoskomai. Now, holoskomai could be best translated in this situation. Be mercy seated to me. Be mercy seated to me. How many of you are familiar with what the Ark of the Covenant looked like? Anybody? Uh, real quick, I'll pull it up there on the screen. The Ark of the Covenant we had the cherubim and the seraphim on the top. If you were in our angel series, you talked about those, okay? We had the ark. Inside here was the 10 commandments. So it was the idea of when God looked down, he saw the cherubim, he saw the seraphim over top, and what was known as the mercy seat was right here on the top here. This was the mercy seat, okay? So when God looked down, he, he would see the mercy seat, and then he'd see underneath that, inside the box, the 10 commandments, the rules they were to live for that they could never live up for. Now, what did the priests do? The priests would go sacrifice and shed blood, okay? Because without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness, okay? So they would shed innocent blood and they come up to the mercy seat and they pour blood onto the mercy seat. And so when God the Father looks down, he sees the blood that was sacrificed for those who couldn't fulfill the Old Testament law. And this tax collector, Jesus sneaks this little info in, says, be mercy seated to me, a sinner. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you hear the gospel? This publican, Jesus is saying, is saying, I need sacrifice for me because I bring nothing to the table. As he stands next to a man who's saying out loud, thank God I'm not like him. He's saying, God, I need you. And the parable concludes, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus, that's not how it works. Prideful people get ahead. There's people lying at work. I do the right thing, God. I show up on time. I work the whole time. And there's people who are cheating the system. I abide. And when someone tells me to do something, I abide. I submit to the governing authorities over my life because I believe when I submit to them, you tell me in Romans, when I submit to them, I'm submitting to you. 
So it's my act of sacrifice and service to you, God, but these people, they blow it all for they, this. And we start thinking we're righteous based on our own accounts and we get all confused. And we say, God, how do you want me to live when I can't figure out black and white and everybody kind of has their own convictions? Jesus says, I don't care about all the outside stuff. Here's all I care about. For everyone who exalts himself in even a season like this is gonna get humbled and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. You say, prove it, okay. Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself and became a bondservant. And the passage goes on to say, and because of that, God highly exalted him to the name that is above every other name. I know that in the kingdom of man, it seems like if you take the path of humility, you fall behind, you get beat, you're called soft, you're called, oh, you're just a bunch of sheep. You get called all these names. But in the kingdom of God, I see humility. I reward humility and it emulates me on earth. Make no mistake, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Why? Because when you choose humility, even when people are wrong, even when people are, are, are treating you, you feel unfairly, even when you're going through difficult seasons, when you choose humility, God sees that and he honors that because you're living out what his son did. I come out of this parable with a true north living statement. Here it is. May I never view myself superior to someone else. There may be people who say, well, Chris, you're better than them. I mean, look at you. There may be people who go, you're, you're way better. Look at what you're the, look, you're the best player on your team, maybe kids. He'd say, or you're, oh man, your class. I know you finished first in your class, right? I mean, I, I, I saw your GPA. Uh, may I, I don't, I can't control other people, but may I never view myself superior to someone else. Sometimes I like to give you guys a few background stories and some neat things that have happened in the past. One occurred uh, about a year and a half ago now. I don't know. I, I forget where even we are sometimes. Does that happen to you? Okay. Is it really July 4th weekend, right? Um, but I think it was last year, maybe two years ago. It's two years ago. We had uh, Carson Wentz, the Eagles quarterback, come to revivals. Here's a behind the scenes story. It's kind of a neat one. And it speaks into treating other people, great, even if you might be considered superior to them in the kingdom of man, okay? We're backstage and we had to be careful what doors we would go out after revivals because people were hiding in the trees and bushes behind Penn Ridge. And if he went out to his car, they would run and the cops would have to hold him back and stuff. And so that was kind of interesting. One person especially scared me, you know, like, like I couldn't believe people behaved like this, but it's true. And, I'm, and some of you are here today. No, that's not, that's not true. But, but, but we were walking down the hallway and a specific scene happened and I thought it was really neat. Um, we were leaving the library and we were heading back um, to walk towards the stage and there's this sweet, unassuming maintenance girl, just, just short lady, she's standing on the side, she's by the, her trash cans and she backed up because here he comes and she's looking at him and I see her eyes, you know? And she had in her hand, it was precious, she had a little piece of paper and a pen she wanted an autograph, but she was never gonna step forward. And I kind of noticed it, but I didn't have to say anything because Carson's now wife is walking beside him and he doesn't see her. He's just walking ahead and obviously, and, and they're directing him and he's walking pretty fast. 
And um, he gets past her and I watch his wife. She reaches and kind of grabs the back of his coat jacket. And he like kind of pulls up, go sign her thing. He looks back, like, where, where? Over there, go sign her thing. And he's like, sure. And he walks over, he signs it for her. And this lady, you know, it's probably for her son or something like that, or maybe her collection. She's making $2 million off, I don't know. But, but <laughs> the point of this was neat. Sometimes folks, when even we choose pride, you ever do that sometimes in, in moments like this where you're like, ah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Isn't it neat how sometimes God surrounds us with someone to kind of offset us a little bit? Chris, you need to calm down. I know. Becca, it's not that big a deal. I know. You ever have somebody in your life that kind of offsets you a little bit? Do you appreciate them? You appreciate them? Let's take this true north and, and let's move forward with this. May I never view some, myself superior to someone else. And that's gonna be tempting in a time where you're watching TV and you hear other people's views and you just, mm, or you have to go somewhere and they tell you, you have to do this and then you have to do this. And you're like, this is an opportunity for us right now in this season. Am I gonna do true north living? Am I gonna emulate what the kingdom of God will want me to? Humility? Or am I gonna fall into the trap of the devil to bring pride in my life that will divide people? I think it's a great challenge for us. James tells us, for anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and, and once forgets what he's like. He looks at himself, he goes, oh yeah, got some things to work on and then he leaves and forgets. I do that. Do you do that? Do you ever go to a sermon and go, you know what? I really gotta work on humility. You walk out of here and forget it. So here's what I've tried to do in the series. I'm writing down priorities, okay? That I've put in my journal on my phone so I can hit them when I need to. So let me leave you with eight priorities so that we don't just look at this and walk out of here and not apply them. And I'm gonna call these blessed are the poor in spirit priorities. True north for a season like this. You ready? These are mine, you can have them if you want or develop your own. All right, Lord, if I'm gonna be poor in spirit in this week, in this season of my life, if I'm gonna not view myself as more important than others, okay, I'm gonna show respect to other people, whether I agree with them or not. Respect is a two-way street. If you want respect from other people, you have to offer respect. The coaches that are great understand the power of offering respect even when they don't have to. Show respect. Here's the second thing. I have noticed humble people serve willingly. They don't serve like, oh, fine. Oh my gosh, how long is this gonna take? They serve willingly. They don't go, hey, I texted him, but I don't think he'll get it, so hopefully he doesn't call back because I really don't wanna help. See, Jesus doesn't care about our fake tries. He knows your real heart. If I'm gonna prioritize humility, I need to serve willingly. Here's the third one. Humble people that, that prioritize humility, they seek to encourage other people. They don't make life about themselves. They don't come to church and go, hey, everybody better, I better be treated, you better, they better sing, they better. They go, I'm here to encourage other people because they don't make life about themselves. Here's a fourth one, communicate gratitude, Chris. Don't just let people do great stuff and you not get back to them and show gratitude. Humility is grateful for what other people do for them. Can I tell you very honestly, thank you for coming. I know it's, a, it's probably getting hot, <laughs> okay? I know it's getting, you know what it feels like for a pastor 
that hasn't seen anybody for three months to have you sitting here? I'm showing gratitude to you. I thank you. Church is very difficult to get to, it seems, these days now. Thank you for tuning in online. It means the world. Five, refuse self-glory. I'm not saying we can't, we can't promote a business endeavor or, or a project we're doing, but when people praise you, hey man, you know what, you're the best. Hey, push that aside. Let another man praise you. Don't do it yourself. Humility doesn't, doesn't make it self-glory. They, they kind of refuse it, I've seen. So I put that on my priority list. Hey, six, remain teachable. Don't get to a point where you go, I got nothing to learn. I know everything. Remain teachable. Remain teachable. Humility remains teachable. Submit to authority as submitting to God. Scripture is very clear on the subject. Now, when the interpretations are very difficult, I show tremendous grace. I said, I ain't gonna judge anybody in the time period we're living in because the, the goalpost shifts every day, okay? But those who walk with humility, they submit to authority. Young people, when you submit to authority, even authority you think is stupid, okay? Jesus sees that. He goes, that's kingdom living. College student, you got a professor you'd like to go, oh my word, okay? When you show humility, Jesus sees that. He knows how you feel and he might even agree with what you think, but he cares about your heart. And then finally, sacrifice preference. There's times where we gotta sacrifice our preference for the sake of humility. You know why I wrote these down? Because if I don't, a week's gonna go by, I'm gonna forget this sermon about the tax collector and the Pharisee. I'm gonna start living life and get right back to it and forget my true north priorities. So I write them down or I can review them from time to time so I'm not just a man who looks at his mirror and goes, yeah, there's some pride there if I'm honest, but changes. Don't be a Pharisee. Come spiritually broken before the Lord. I don't know where you're at today, what you're going through or what your struggle is. But this week, you might be tempted to lash out in frustration, pride, or anger. I know we're all feeling the tension of our society. But remember this, let this guide you. Blessed is the man who shows humility because humil humble people aren't fighting with everyone all the time and building up roots of bitterness in their soul. They don't live in tension and resentment because they've chosen the path of humility. Let it expand you, let it guide you, and let it remind you. Maybe write down eight priorities that you'd like to have in the area of humility moving into this season and check off the first box of blessed is the poor in spirit. We're gonna call this priority humility. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, use this text today to encourage us to walk in humility. It may feel at times when we choose the humble path that others get ahead. But maybe in the kingdom of man, if we care about what truly matters, your approval, your characteristics that you exalt, that you bring reward for, that we can emulate, we'll seek to prioritize those. And when we get those big rocks in, it will probably be surprising how much better we handle the frustrations of life. So Lord, teach us in humility. You modeled it to us in Jesus Christ. And may we remember, when we take the path of humility, we emulate the toughest, strongest, most com conviction-filled man that's ever walked the face of the earth, Jesus Christ. Let him be our hero. Let him be our guide. 
And even if the kingdom of man mocks that kind of living, may we know that that's where true strength is found. In Jesus' name.